This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to The Property Show on The Morning Run, and I'm Philip C. Joining me on the show today is Winston C. from Paper Space. As we talk about interior designers, as we have a discussion about the role of interior design, as I try to eke out from him horror stories from nightmare clients. Just kidding. A very good morning to you, Winston. Welcome to the show. You know, Winston, tell me a bit about your career as an interior designer. How did you get into the space of being an interior design uh, designer and then after that coming up with your own business? Actually, okay, I'm actually an architect by training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a master's in architecture. And I've been training in the architecture space for, I think, at, at this point of my life, I'm 36, and I've been practicing for uh, 18 years. Uh, so I've known architecture more than I know myself in in a way. Um, so yeah, so anyway, we uh, as, as I mentioned, I was an architect in training. I was working in a company called BEP. It's a very commercial firm. Uh, it's one of the oldest firm in Malaysia as well. Um, so we do a lot of uh, developer projects, high-rise and things like that. So uh, as I got to my seventh year, I realized like, you know, things are getting repetitive and I really wanted to explore the creative side of, uh, of the business. Uh, then I, along the way, I actually realized that I like to get uh, like into details. Mm. Uh, so architecture is all about the macro, um, but interior design is all about the micro as well. So that's why I got into it. And it's- then funnily enough, I got like... Um, I got into a reality TV show as well called The Apartment and yeah. that was uh, in Joho. At, at that time, it was just like, okay, the, the timing was perfect. I got into the show. Uh, I won't tell you the result, uh, but I got pretty damn far. <laughs> uh, and then essentially then because of that, then I, I decided just, why not just, just start, start a new firm. So now I'm actually doing architecture and interior design. So. Is it common that the original progression or career that people take usually starts with architecture are there alternative career paths that get you to interior design yeah i think anyone can do interior design i i feel like mm. i mean obviously you you if you have an education background it'll be better uh it gives you a head start but i think a lot of things in creativity uh in, in like in art in, in anything design is based on your personal interest and creativity as well like uh, it depends. Like for me personally, I, I realized there are a lot of people who, who like my uni mates and all that stuff. Like some of them, although I'm in training, but uh, I don't know. It's just like the eye for it sometimes. Right? Like just like some, some homeowner has the eye for interior design. They have the taste for it. Like it, it's a lot of do it. Like something that you born and born without in, in a way. And that's, and I think, you, that's a very interesting perspective, which is it's really creative. There's a certain flair that you must have with, with, with I think, with excellence in this career. How do you marry that with the necessary skills and competencies that, you know, help reflect and translate that vision into something real and implementable? Yep. So how, how, how do customers, you know, scrutinize not only the creative side, but also the ability to translate well? Yeah, I, I think that's when the, edu- the education comes in because a lot of time people uh, react like they relate interior design to design only. But actually there's a lot of like during the education period where you actually learn about contracts, you learn about implementation and mm. things like that. So there's a lot of hidden hidden uh, aspect of interior design people usually don't talk about. So I think in, in a nutshell, I think in order to make it to, to translate from, from design to, to reality, I think you have to be obsessed with it in this industry. 
especially in design, you have to be obsessed with it because it takes so much work uh, from paper to translate to reality. Um, uh, yes, people are going to scrutinize it. Like uh, they're going to say, okay, you're only, only going to draw. You're not going to do anything else. And then it's just drawing only. La. Charge me cheap, la, things like that. But actually, there's a lot of work into it. Uh, like you have to consider... Uh, while you're designing, you have to consider the technical part of it, like how to make it um, functionable, how to how to construct it, the engineering side of it. At the same time, you have to consider the practical side of it for your clients as well. And at the same time, you have to think about budget. So like, even during the entire process of designing, you actually have to marry, start marrying these things together. I think that's the real challenge of it. So, but people don't really talk about it. I mean, I would love to be a fly in the wall when you have a conversation with prospective customers, right? When they speak to you, how do they articulate their vision? Do they just shove you a series of magazines or, nah, here's my mood board, here's what I'm feeling at the moment, and then you have to translate it? I'm just wondering how difficult is it for you in your interactions with interactions with clients with respect to translating what could be perhaps nebulous into something real and concrete? Yeah, to me, um, I'm always telling my client, I mean, this is for me, I can't speak for others, but for me, usually... I treat all my clients like friends. So what I do when I first met them is I ask about them. It's like a first date, really. You know, ask mm. about what they do, what is your hobby. Because these little, little puzzles fit in and then you create a real masterpiece for them. Because I believe like all this architecture, all this design, interior design, it's all, it should be crafted specifically for a person. It shouldn't be a cookie cutter where you just tick and repeat. Because everyone is different in some ways. Um, you know, even though you like movies and I like movies, but we could like a different movies. And and that actually translates to how we interpret uh, maybe a, a, an art as well. So that being said, so that's why I usually will ask them. They don't really show me mood board in the first meeting or whatsoever. But I would ask them like, uh, you know, what, what is your hobby? What do you like to do? Do you have friends over? Do you like to cook? Uh, you know, things like that. Um, it will then paint a picture of what they need in the space. Then beyond that, then I will ask like, what is your style, right? Yeah. Uh, so style, it can be from what you wear and then it can be your favorite colors. It can be so many things like what is your favorite cars? Then from the cars design, you can sort of tell, you know, do they like vintage or do they like something modern? Like example, it, it, so design takes inspiration from anywhere. Sure. And that's why I'm quite keen to understand, right, the conversation and the amount of time you take to engage your clients before, you know, putting, you know, these idea, ideas into paper, you know, i.e. the drawing. I presume this it requires multiple interactions. It's just going to take more than just one meeting, right? You're going to engage on, on multiple levels. This could mean impatience on the client side, right? Because they just want to get stuff done. Or are clients a bit more enlightened now and recognize that it's all part of the process? Yeah, so usually I would tell them first in advance, like, okay, I'm not trying to be nosy. I'm not trying to be busybody, but I'm just trying to get to know who you are. So during the first meeting, usually I ask a lot of questions. Uh, because I'm trying to keep the whole process short as well. Like sometimes uh, we have deadlines, we have because they are they're, they're taking loans and then they got the keys, they want to move in as fast as possible. So sometimes I have to keep this uh, interaction short. So usually in the first meeting, I would have already asked like uh, all these questions. Uh, and I'll explain to them why I asked them. Uh, and then with that, usually I'll, I'll usually be, I'll be able to paint a, like a draft concept already for them. And then from then on, then we'll just go back and forth. So the conversations of budget come right up front. They are actually one of the first few conversations to have the financial budget, how much they're willing to spend. That's actually up front. Very important. 
exactly. I think in in this business, you have to be very transparent, um, budgeting and your timing as well. And I think a lot of young designers like myself, I made a mistake a lot of time, like mm. trying to, to accommodate sometimes. Uh, like they tell me, okay, I need to move in in six months, example. Uh, and then they want a lot of things. So sometimes at that time, I was being very optimistic, probably. I would usually say like, okay, I'll try my best to do it. But now usually at this point of my career, I think I'm 18 years in, usually I would tell them, no, I'm so sorry. This cannot be done. You need at least this, this, this time. Uh, so everything is best to be transparent to avoid like future conflicts. Uh. And I guess with respect to the interaction with the clients, at what point then are fees uh, discussed? I mean, you have a presumably uh, a fee-based structure. When do these conversations take place? After one or two meetings or do you even say it up front? Uh, I would say it up front usually. So um, this is because I don't want to waste anybody's time. Like, uh, I mean, we could really hit it off. We had a great first date, like, and then the third date, I start telling you my price. Then it, it's a bit too steep for you, or something like that. Example, <laughs> then it, I would have wasted your 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 two days, your three days, or something, three three meetings. So I mean, that's not something that I want to do as well to to my prospects. Um, so usually upfront is best. And I guess the question for me then to follow up this is that are there projects that personally excite you, which you then say, look, I love this so much, I don't mind perhaps even, you know, charging low or investing my time with it. And there's some things which are just sounds really difficult and you you create a disincentive structure by charging extremely high. You know, is that common practice? Uh, not to me, but I do. Okay, I, I, I don't, at this point in career, I don't like select my projects based on financial point of view at this mm. point of time. Mm. Uh, but I, I do wipe what you say, like, uh, you know, I pick it because it interests me. Um, but how it interests me is uh, not only like the nature of the project. Sometimes you ask me to design like a dog shelter, like I love dogs, example. That would yeah. be really interesting. But in, in this case, like sometimes it's how you hit it off with someone. Like someone is really respectful towards you. You can see that they yeah. they understand how this business works and and they talk to you like really nicely. Sometimes like, and then they will tell you, I'm so sorry, my budget is only this, you know, this. So sometimes uh, when I meet people like that, I, I tend to, to to just help them as much as I can. I'll try to maybe even like, uh, okay, look, I'll, 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 I'll save some money for you to cut my fees here and there. Like I will tr- do my best to help them. Like, uh, because in the end of the day, I just want to help people. I mean, I, I love designing and designing is all about like making lives easier for people. Yes. So, so yeah, so it's, it's a lot to do with who I meet and, and how I vibe with them. Uh, more than the nature of the job. But of course, nature of the job helps as well if it's interesting and the interested location or, uh, or the scope of work. All right. And we're going to take a short break for messages and come back for some more discussion on the creative bone and tangible skills required from an interior designer. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. And with me today is Winston C. from Paper Space on the role of interior design. What complicates matters is also the relationship with the contractor, the, the entity that's actually going to be translating that, that paper into reality. How does this tripartite relationship between yourself, the contractor and the customer work usually? What are the best operating working models that involve all three parties? Okay, so there are a lot of different contracts in business. business. So I think the, 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 the one that usually people like to go for is called design build, where the designers is, is a team together with the builders. And then the, 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 for the client, they will just uh, appoint this company, design build company, and then they will do everything from A to Z. 
I mean, that sounds great. But the problem is for me, I don't believe in that because there's a conflict of interest. Uh, I feel like the designers like myself should be a, a, like a middle person between the, the client and the contractor. Being very non-biased. Like we, we say it as it is and then we implement the project as it is. So a project that. manager. You're also a project manager. Yes, correct. Mm. So that's what we usually do for our jobs. We don't do design and build because purely clearly there's a there's a conflict of interest like contractor is trying to earn more money fairly okay but to us we're trying to 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 to, to make the best out of something with that set budget and obviously following the contract as well um so that's why like example we um yeah so usually we go with this business model and I find it the best way lah. Uh, so you're the that, main you're the point person you interact right. primarily with the customer and then you relish, manage the relationship with the contractors right, as well them. and so you bring different really, contractors for different roles and different functions essentially uh, yes usually we set a set rules of uh, contract clauses which they mm. have to follow but yeah but basically in a nutshell we have to manage the, rela- the relationship between these two parties because sometimes they don't speak well together. Like, you know, <laughs> a certain client is going to think that this contractor is going to scam me and things like that. They're not so sure. Mm. Uh, whereas this, this contractor could think that this client is being very fussy, you know? So, we, we are in the middle point where we say, okay, look, uh, contractor, uh, this is the norm and then we have to comply to this. This is the specs. So, certain things like, because we are in this industry and we understand both sides of the story. So, that's where we can maybe try to present it in such a way that both of them will understand each other better. But sometimes you have no choice. Sometimes the customer has a contractor in mind already and they ask you to work with that contractor or or you have, you know, or the flip side as well, right? Does that happen often? It happens, but not most of the time. Most of the time, I think my clients will rather go for a tender uh, mm. and then we'll pick the contractor based on their merits and then, of course, their price as well. Uh, but yes, sometimes they do have their own contractors. But I find it sometimes because when you have your set contractor, I mean, certain some of them I, I've met is very nice, but some of them because mm. they are friends, uh, that then it gets a bit complicated. <laughs> then 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 it's it's a bit like lopsided already, yeah, like, where Obviously, yeah. you know your friends, and then they'll yeah. tell you something behind your back and things like that. So that that's where it can get, it, it, yeah, that's where it can get like a bit <clears throat> gray. Yeah. Um, because then you cloud your judgment uh, based on your friendship as well. True. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's not good or things like that. They are really good ones as well. Um, but it, it can complicate things. I guess then, as we as we now about six, seven months from reopening and the pandemic, I'm sure has changed how we look at our homes and the perspective of how we want to design our homes. Have you seen significant shifts in trends to what you know people want in terms of redesigning their homes? Yeah, I do notice there are trends. There are like a wave of trends and especially in social media, everyone's sharing and then with Pinterest all around. Uh, yeah, there, there is certain trends. But my advice to all my clients is not to follow trends because trends come and go. Uh, do what, what's best for you and then that will be usually be the timeless solution. Mm. I, and also I suspect with also very tight market conditions, are people trying to break out their projects into specific locations like the dining room first or living room first as opposed to, you know, doing the whole home? Are you seeing that happen where they try to segmentize or parcel out uh, different fun- different parts of their homes for different design? Uh, usually, it's not recommended, but mm. that's what I do usually for those people that I write with and I want to help them. Yeah. Uh, why I say it's not recommended because it can get really complicated. And obviously, in the long run, where your contractor is going to mobilize a few couple of times, they leave and come back, leave, come back. In the end, it's going to cost more probably. But 
<clears throat> so what I usually help to do um, with clients with lower budget is we, we work on the, the we, we come up with a master plan of this is how your design is going to look like in the end. And then maybe then we'll focus on works uh, that like minimizes the abortive work. So as number one, I say that maybe we'll work on the services versus piping and things like that so that you don't have to come back in the future and hack again your walls. So certain things like that, yes, you can plan and, and schedule it accordingly. And that's why I was very keen when I hear you, right? Everything feels very bespoke. Everything is individual. It's down to you as a designer, really understanding the needs of your customers. In the end, when you say you run this business of interior design, it is really about you, right? It is really you as a person, you as an interior designer knowing this. It's hard to create an enterprise of multiple interior designers, right, to to work together on a shared values per se. They're so individual by its perspective. How How easy is it for you to you know, translate this from being a personal uh, mission to something a bit more enterprise-driven then? Mm, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I, I think for me, my when I first got into this space, money was never on the card. I mean, I know I, I know I sound like really naive in this, but at that point in time, I believe like uh, if, I, if I'm truly good at something, people would appreciate it. So in this case, like if I'm tr- really trying to help them, people will see it. People will see value in it. So um, what I'm doing there is it's purely not to just like um, to for for my benefit as well. So the way I'm trying to present it to them is actually I'm trying to save their money. I'm trying to give them the best product in the end with their budget, with their sit budget and their requirement, and then being most important, being empathized with them more, more and and as well listen to them to what they want. In the end of the day, I think the, the end product is not just beneficial to me in terms of financially, but I think in the end of the day, if it, if it helps them, makes their life better, if it makes them happier every time they wake up, if it, is, it creates convenience to them in terms of the layout and things like that, then I think it's a win-win situation. Yeah. And I, I know I always had this in my mind. I was going to ask you, right, when a project is completed, do you still get calls from your customers saying, hey, the toilet's not flushing? Do they blame all the defects on you as an interior design? Because everything could be attributed to design to a certain extent. How do you manage that? Yeah. Uh, yes, they do. They do call us for everything. <laughs> so the thing about creating relationship is then you have now become like the second wife, right? Yeah. So everything they will tell you, <clears throat> even though it's, although it's not your issue. TMI. So they will just call you about everything. <clears throat> but my advice is like, don't take it personally. Don't take it like, like the clients are trying to blame it on you. But instead, maybe just trying to understand and then point them to the right direction to how to solve it. Because at the end of the day, it's all about solving problems. Like, clients are not going to call you just to, like, uh, make your life difficult. In the end of the day, if you stand on their perspective, stand on their ground, they're probably just trying to figure out why is this happening and how can we fix it. So, so in the end of the day, I think, like, yeah, I mean, they will call about everything. Like, when I say everything, like, it's literally everything. Like, some certain things. Which are not totally related to the house as well, they will call you. Correct. So, they will call you about everything. Like, even the management, like, this lady, they will call you about everything. (laughs) But that's part and parcel of being... Being with a private client, it's very personal. It will mm. call you about everything. It's like having a, a second wife, have second relationship. Like yeah. And when I hear you, really, it sounds like business is grown based on personal relationship experience and track record. That's why you do need to personalize and make sure that these relationships are positive and grow. But how does one then, you know, connect with, you know, companies or businesses like yourself? And how do they select is, I guess, the question. I presume it's all word of mouth. 
so far, my projects have been word of mouth. You're right. And then there they have been publications as well throughout. Uh, people approach us and, and, and ask to, to publish our works. Then yes. Mm. But mostly word of mouth. And I feel word of mouth is the most reliable because um, if you have one million to spend, you're not going to find someone on Facebook uh, to a point. You, you don't want... It's, it's a huge risk. So sometimes what people do is they, they, they ask their friends and then they'll recommend. But of course, it's all, all based on like the first date as well. Like if things hit off, uh, you know, the budget is great, uh, the fees is okay, and then the whole entire style of working is okay with them, then usually then they will just proceed with that. But word of mouth is hard, especially for a young upstart designer. So I want to reflect on your career when you decided to transition out from architecture to this. How did you get into this? How, how, what was your break? I, I would say I, I at that point of time I literally do everything. <clears throat> you have a ten thousand budget, I'll do it. So yeah, at that point of time I do everything. Like mm. I, I wasn't being very selective at all. At that point of time I was just trying to do as much as I can get my name out. Um, obviously in a good way. I'm not trying to like uh, force it against anyone as well. So at that point I didn't care how much the fees was. I think my lowest fees was like literally I can tell you honestly is like three thousand lump sum for an entire cafe. And that's a lot of work. And I earned 3K. I think I earned lower than a McDonald's worker at the end of the day. But at that point in time, I didn't care. Uh, like I said, I was, I know I was young. I have the energy. I was just... You had to I build just, the portfolio. Just, yeah, I just needed to do something. What's your advice to those aspiring to be interior designer? Because many people love the idea. Many people claim to be creative. They think they have the flair for it. At what point do you tell people, hmm, this dream isn't for you? Or at what point do you say, okay, I'm going to make this work and I'm going to actually t- translate this into a career? What's your advice for those people who are still thinking they may have that interior design bone in their body, but perhaps not sure whether they should translate it to a career? Um, personally, for me, I think uh, to be an interior designer, you have to be very patient. Not just with dealing with clients, but you have to be patient with your growth and your knowledge as well. I think a lot of designers have a lot of egos, uh, especially when they're younger. Um, and then when you get into this industry, then you realize like, oh, there's a lot of things you can learn from each other. That's all the time we have for today's property show. Thank you for being on the show, Winston. That was Winston C from Paper Space. I'm Philip C signing off for the morning run. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.